crowd getting excited. There's Mr. Mandela, Mr. Nelson Mandela, a free man taking his first steps into a new South Africa. Mrs. Winnie Mandela next to him, waving to the crowds, hand in hand, they leave the Victor Fister prison. That was a snippet of the ABC coverage of Mandela's release in 1990. Nelson Mandela's life, of course, has been covered many times by biographers and school textbooks, the inspiring story of a liberator whose greatest strength was forgiveness. But a crucial aspect of his life, his 38-year-long marriage with Winnie Mudzikela Mandela, has possibly been less ploughed. Their marriage was a reflection of different strands within the huge struggle to defeat defeat apartheid. Nelson for reconciliation, Winnie for retribution. Johnny Steinberg's one of South Africa's best-known social observers and historians. He teaches at Yale University uh, at the Council for African Studies and his latest work, Winnie and Nelson, Portrait of a Marriage, examines the epic Shakespearean drama that affected not merely the couple, but the whole nation, and which reverberates quite possibly down to the present day in troubled but mercifully still democratic South Africa. Johnny Steinberg, welcome to the program. Great to be with you. Look, you say you wanted to both demythologize Wills, Winnie and Nelson and to preserve their myths, if that makes sense, to show that they were real, flawed human beings, but that the myths they lived and embodied were necessary. Now, to be honest, that is a big ask of a book. <laughs> <laughs> well, not as big a task as Winnie and Nelson had. <laughs> they... <laughs> I, I think that over over the years he was in prison, there was a, there were three layers to the tasks before them, and and one was was to keep the myth of their union alive. They, you know, from shortly after they met, they they were a powerful celebrity couple. They understood the the sheer force of what they looked like together, and they constructed their marriage as a kind of a metaphor or an embodiment of Black South Africa's struggle for freedom. Um, and it became famous as a, it became perhaps the most famous marriage in the world at one point. And, and they had to keep, keep feeding that myth um, just out of political commitment. And yet at the same time, they had to juggle other things. And one was to keep the actual relationship between them live. They were apart for 27 years. Uh, their contact was minimal. It was censored. It was spied upon. You know, to conduct a marriage, um, bring up children under those conditions is is enormously painful and difficult. And a third thing they had to deal with was the fact that as the years went on, they grew estranged politically. They had a very different sense of how apartheid should end. Uh, you know, as you were saying in your introduction, Nelson Mandela wanted more than anything else to prevent civil war. He wanted negotiated settlements. When he believed that unless apartheid ended through mass armed insurrection, it wouldn't end at all. And, and they had to juggle all of this business together, wrapped up in one life. And I think in the end, you know, what happened is they, they did keep these myths alive for as long as they could. Um, it was a heavy burden, uh, but they both suffered immensely. And mm. and in a strange way, they did come to embody their nation. They did come to be a metaphor for it, but not in the ways that they hoped, not in the ways that they, they wished. Um, you know, they, they embodied a nation's pain. They embodied its suffering. They embodied its tearing apart. It became a much, their marriage became more complex than they would have wanted it to be. Oh, 
Look, there's so much. There's an extraordinary letter that he wrote to her in 1970. If calamities had the weight of physical objects, we should long ago have been crushed down. I mean, there's so much sadness in this book as well as magnificence. Look, do you want us to emerge with a different view of them? I think that's quite an important question to pose you. Yeah, definitely. I I was so surprised when researching this book to discover how enormously angry Nelson Mandela was in the early 1990s when he left prison. You know, he believed that his life had been stolen from him. He, He described his life as a tragedy. He believed that his enemy had destroyed the the emotional and psychological well-being of his wife. He he was a very angry man. And yet he believed that as the leader of his people, to show that anger in public, even for one moment, would be uh, to betray his mission in life. And so with enormous consummate skill, he put on this mask of avuncular good cheer, of, of being a benign and lovely and, and warm man, because he believed that that's what his country needed. He they they needed reconciliation. That was his his duty to deliver. Um, and this juxtaposition between what he was feeling inside and, and his sense of what had become of his life and the role he was playing in public made me admire him enormously. Gee, Winnie and Nelson were only married for a handful of years before he was jailed. And one of the examples you give of how they remember key moments of their relationship completely differently is this one in the first two years of marriage. For more than two years, this is what he said, this is Nelson's recollection. For more than two years, she and I literally lived on honeymoon. I quietly resisted any activity that kept me away from home after hours. Whereas her recollection said the only time we had a normal life was just that week of our wedding. That week was to me a whole lifetime because it symbolised what life might have been. I mean, honestly, I can hardly read that and not cry. <laughs> well, well, her recollections are much more accurate than his. You know, what What happens to a person through 27 years in jail is is very interesting and, and, and very disturbing. You, you hold on to who you were before you went to prison because your life has been suspended. And, and you keep replaying your previous life in your mind. And as you do so, you idealize it. Um, and, and the longer he stayed in prison, the more deeply Nelson Mandela fell in love with Winnie over and over again. Um, but in a disturbing way, because he didn't really know who she was anymore. Uh, what he was in love with was a fantasy of what they'd been years before. And, you know, reading that and, and seeing that, I, I feared for him. I feared for his well-being when he walked out of the prison doors and had to live a real life again. This book, it's, it's a very humanising portrayal of Winnie and Nelson. And, and it thoroughly unpicks, dare I say, the sort of heroic narrative of Mandela. It tells of his darker side, domestic abuse incidents, uh, infidelity, um, relationships that failed, you know, in in the shadow of this extraordinary uh, struggle. Contrastingly, uh, Winnie, whose uh, lasting image, I suppose, is that of violence or suing others to violence, in a way you portray her in a lighter side, her transition from young and naive to world-weary and sole breadwinner for a growing family. Now, did, you know, did you emerge with that clarity or is, is it still more murky? <laughs> well, I, you know, the, the greatest task in writing the book was to keep sympathy with both of them all the time, no matter what they were doing. And I think that since Nelson Mandela died, it has become possible to write about him honestly without attacking him. 
um, you know, to see his dark sides, to see his flaws, to see the moments where he actually did abuse his power. And, and to me, he, he just becomes more human. And that's why I say I don't want to break the myth. I, you know, I think that one has perhaps even more respect for him when one knows what he's been through and the mistakes that he made. With Winnie, you, you know, she, things went horribly wrong with her in the late 1980s. She committed terrible violence against innocent people. And, and I wanted to look at that squarely in the face. And sold others but on the, to but, do but, it. But, yes, but over the trajectory of her whole life, because to reduce her life to that moment would be wrong. Um, mm. It was remarkable, rich, and, and in many ways, extraordinary life. And so I didn't want to hide anything that she did, but I, I wanted to put it in, in, in the context of a, of a whole life. You mentioned in a separate article, Johnny, that Winnie's personal struggle, uh, she felt, became synonymous with the national struggle, at least in her mind, which you found fascinating. Tell us more about that, please. Well, you know, in the 1950s, she was a very beautiful young woman who, remarkably for a woman in those times, did not believe that any sphere of society uh, was barred to her because of her gender. She she wanted a place in public life. She wanted power. But as a woman in the 1950s, there were very few ways of getting there. Um, and, and one was to use her beauty and her sexuality um, uh, to find a much older, more powerful man, which is what she did. But but remarkably, and, and I guess pretty disturbingly, she felt that once she had married Nelson Mandela, she was, by virtue of being his wife, the leader of her people. Uh, she had an astonishingly royal, aristocratic sense of politics, um, really, really otherworldly, really strange. And, and yet she carried that with her throughout her life. In the late 80s, that got her into enormous, enormous trouble. There was an insurrection exploding across South Africa. And, and she believed that the ground on which she stood was the ground of the revolution simply because she was Winnie Mandela. Um, mm. It's a remarkable aspect of her, but it's also her, perhaps her, her deepest and most consequential fault. Actually, Richard Stengel, who <clears throat> collaborated with um, uh, Nelson Mandela to write Lo The Long Road to Freedom, which, of course, is an incredibly um, you know, well-known book, wrote in The Guardian, reviewing your, your um, book, uh, Mandela was a realist. She was a fantasist. Uh, I, he wasn't, I don't think he was trying to talk her down, but th that was how he characterised it. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I do. I, I, you know, they, they both ploughed their adult lives into preserving the myth of their marriage. But the great difference between them is that Nelson Mandela didn't ever for once confuse the myth of himself with his, 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 his real being as a, as a person. Um, you know, he was he was delighted that that the myth of the marriage and of himself was so successful. He was probably the most famous person in the world, but he he never confused that with his personal happiness or with who he was. I, I think that when he did confuse the two, she believed that she was the embodiment of a nation, that the myth was actually real, um, and mm. and and that led to a great tragedy in her life and in in many other lives. Well, look, let's just end with with the present, not, not a super happy present for South Africa at the moment, but it, and it has some changing attitudes, I understand, towards Mandela. The ANC, the party that uh, he led out of jail, is reportedly in danger of losing its outright majority for the first time since he became president in 1994. And some are saying that Mandela's image has gone from hero to scapegoat. Now, do you agree? And if so, why is that? Well, I don't think it's true among all South Africans, but it may well be true among young South Africans. 
Um, you know, we've had young black South Africans of- is what I've read that it's actually whites who've retained their their great admiration for him, which is you know <laughs> uh, that is uh, vexatious, shall we say, isn't it? Well, I'd imagine that many middle-aged and elderly black South Africans still admire him enormously, um, but his 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 record is much more mixed among young black South Africans. Um, you know, young black South Africans are understandably very disappointed in democracy. Um, you know, inequality has increased. Economic growth has been stagnant for the last 12 years. These are the years of the, these are their formative years. And they're naturally asking questions about the settlement itself back in the 1990s and, and asking hard questions about the people who made that settlement. I think that's unfair. I, I think that... The settlement Nelson Mandela won was a very strong one. He he defeated his opponents hands down um, and won a majoritarian uh, proportional representation democracy with a very strong progressive constitution. Um, the things that have gone wrong have gone wrong subsequently. I think that he's being blamed for what subsequent generations have done. But, but it's kind of understandable and perhaps inevitable uh, that young people who weren't there at the time, who don't have personal experience at the times, um, are, are, are asking hard questions. I, I think it's right that they're doing that. Well, Johnny Steinberg, you've certainly laid it all out there for us to reconsider, and I thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. And just as an interesting aside, Nelson Mandela's been memorialised in a number of ways. He has nearly two dozen statues of his likeness. His face is on the currency. And every year on July the 18th, South Africans celebrate by volunteering for 67 minutes in honour of his 67 years of service. Um, But uh, she hasn't got virtually anything. That was Johnny Steinberg, one of uh, South Africa's best-known social observers. His book, Winnie and Nelson, Portrait of a Marriage, is out now. And we just thought that given that we're in this mode, we couldn't resist the wonderful anthem, Ngozi Sikolela, the South African national anthem. Have a little listen. Stream any ABC radio station live and on the go. Discover new podcasts, music and audiobooks, all free on the ABC Listen app.